Are you recording? I just started, yeah. Right when you said smooth sounds of the 70s. So that's how the episode will start. You should start it with, with my, I'll my, try out my singing voice since I got this sweet audio hookup. All right, do it. So what, what should we sing? We need a song. Uh, Hello, is there darkness, any... my old friend. <laughs> what, that's your nasally singing voice? I love the time you again. Is there any songs in Mandy? Mandy doesn't have any songs, does it? Or, that, or oh, uh, wait, what's the King Crimson? It, uh, I don't remember the lyrics to that. Though. No, How about either. all the sailors, all the sailors say, "Mandy, you're a fine girl. <laughs> what a good, what a good knife you would be." <laughs> what about this but one? My love, what about this my... one? Wait, wait, but my, but my lady, is, what is, I don't know what rhymes with B though, but my life and my lady is Iron Maiden album covers. I don't know how that song would go. How about this one? I'm blue Mandy, and Mandy de ba da da and Mandy de Mandy da da ba me and I like house that. with <laughs> the blue little Mandy and a blue Corvette and every Mandy's blue for him. <laughs> That has kind of a Donovan sound. What is that? What is that? That was that. Remember that song, Blue? The 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 Euro Trash dance hit of two thousand. Oh. Actually, probably more like nineteen ninety eight. Well, those are my. That's my missing years when I didn't have any taste. I didn't like anything. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Um, did you want to talk about Mandy at all? Did you want to go go, go through it a little bit or? <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, do you want to start there? You said you had something you wanted to. Pick complain about actually you know i don't know if i really do okay so here's my thing about mandy um no i mean something you wanted to complain about in, out in the world oh out in the world oh shit there's so much of that i yeah, don't even you... know where to start <laughs> you were uh, i forget what it was i thought you were something was pissing you off but i don't know what it was if oh, it was anything that probably a lot of stuff I told you I was going to try to come up with a basketball analogy mm-hmm. for publishing. Yeah, go for it. Uh, oh, it didn't work. I mean, it, it falls apart. It, it only happened because somebody said uh, I was grumbling about a lack of publishing success as usual, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody's like, don't worry. You've probably heard this too. Don't worry. Talent will out. You know, if you're good at something, people will recognize it. Uh-huh. And they used the analogy. They said, it's like basketball. They always find the good players. And and I thought, man, it's not like basketball because, like, I started to think about how – I mean, there's more than a couple differences. Like, imagine imagine a basketball team where, like, the mediocre players dominate, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's not, that's not a thing. Imagine, like, like if, you, like, if a reading was, like, a slam dunk contest – and you went to a reading and someone's dunking on it, the famous people all night. And they're like dunk, dunking over and over and over. And then the guy who's dunking on everybody's like, hey, man, maybe you tell your coach about me. And then, the, and then the famous person, the famous player is like, well, slow down, dude. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it, you know, it's a zero-sum game, dude. We can't have right. too, yeah. many, too many good, good players. They're like, you know, you're really good. You're really good on the court, but – we can't sell tickets to that shit. People want to watch basketball. They understand. Right, right. Yeah. If I had an analogy for publishing, it would be more like, 
it'd be more like music and it would be like imagine a xylophone like a really long xylophone except every key of the xylophone is made out of people's teeth and some dude is just running back and forth along the xylophone just rubbing his dick on every single key <laughs> just smacking it like a mallet just playing a tune with other people's teeth that's kind of what publishing is like I like that better. Yeah, the basketball <laughs> thing just turned basketball just turned into sour grapes. I just need another analogy because I've been using this painting analogy forever. Okay. You know, and so basketball sounded um you know, I just I didn't think of these things to say in the moment. I'm so you know, I got, I went home and started thinking, man, I should have I should have I had so many ways I could have responded to Wait, that. Wait, where where, was, where, like, where was this like set, like set the scene? Is was this an actual like physical place you were? Yeah, I was talking to colleagues, you know. Oh, um, okay. We just we started. I went back to the teaching started up, so I was in the hallway. You know, just making s- small talk. Um, actually, making small talk at the rec center, and so that's why basketball must have been, been on everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. I've been taken to swimming lately, um, and it's really tough to get. To, be, to go there and do that with any regularity because they can't hire students, enough students to cover it. Oh, wow. I remember everybody fight. Everybody used to fight over that position back when I, I actually used to lifeguard back in the fucking eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to do that because it was such an easy job and it was a great summer job, you know? Right. And, right. uh, our, the schedule here is fucked. They is can't it, keep any students on the staff. Is it like rich kids that go to your school? There's a it's a diverse population, but I mm-hmm. think that it's um it's a fairly prestigious private school. So oh okay, you get, you get some of that. So you think they don't need the money? Is what you're thinking? See, I right. thought maybe it, it'd be a perfect storm of things you'd want to do as a student. You want to be outside, you know, and it's it's a very social job, right? Right. I guess, but they don't. Um, maybe the, its day has passed. We always talk about. You know, like last episode with the state of comedy, it just doesn't make any sense to us anymore. We're too old. Maybe we're too old for lifeguarding in pools. Nobody gives a fuck about a pool anymore. I don't know. Dude, I used to love or going to the pool be... so much. I used to like, there were two different lifeguards who were just always on my radar, right? And uh, yeah. oddly enough, one was a chick and one was a dude. And it was the first time in my life where I didn't have like, sexual feelings for the dude but it was like i wanted to be him you know because he was like he was ripped and just like all the all the you know 12 13 year old girls who i was trying to talk to were looking at that guy and they were like oh my god (laughs) i just remember being like man i want to be i want to be fucking eric so bad you know what i mean oh i said fucking eric that might be a freudian slip right there um could be but yeah no i just remember so many do you you ever have those thoughts like like taking over Eric, like becoming Eric. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. And then like being an 18 year old and then going and finding all the 12 and 13 year old girls that I was talking to. Oh, totally. Yeah. When I was 12 or 13, I'd be like, man, if I could just inhabit Eric's body. That's what the, that's, that's what those body swap movies are probably based on is just, um, that was a big trend back in the eighties and nineties, the old body swap m- movie. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was lifeguarding, there was a lot of, a lot of young people swarming the lifeguard stand. And I just basically put them to work to like, go get me shredded chicken sandwiches and shit. <laughs> you know, I did, yeah. I remember 
it was kind of like an infestation, you know, they're everywhere. And then they just think, I don't know if they, they wanted to, they, they were also getting away with stuff. Like if they made friends with the lifeguard, they could, you know, stay later and mm-hmm. go down the slide standing up and, and just the presentation to their friends that they know, you know, it's their place then if they're friends with the lifeguard. Mm-hmm. So I would just send them on errands and bring you food and shit. You know what? Fun. I did actually remember what I was going to complain about. Check it out, dude. What I'm beginning to realize that is annoying me so much recently is I've, I've come to this like incredibly brilliant realization that the internet is not real. So I'm becoming like extremely annoyed by people who treat the internet as real. I And that can take many forms. It can manifest itself in many ways. Uh, but the way that it's manifesting itself mostly now is people who seem to be like really invested in being pundits online. Um, mm-hmm. And who people, I think, who just seem very ubiquitous online in general, right? So if somebody's like liking everything that I put up and having a comment for everything that that I put up, you know, I'm just like, you're you're just, you're always here. And I think that I find <laughs> that distasteful in the way that like ex-alcoholics find alcoholics or ex-smokers find cigarette smoke. Because, you know... Like when you stop smoking cigarettes and you walk past a group of smokers, you're like, oh my God, it's filthy. It's disgusting. <laughs> it was literally you like two weeks ago, but now it's worse. Yeah. And I think sure. that once I had this epiphany about the internet, all of a sudden everybody who's too close to it seems really gross to me now. Yeah, and it might be a touch of that, uh, the Woody Allen line about you wouldn't want, um, what is it? You wouldn't want to be the member of any group that would have you or something. Uh-huh, right. So if it, so anybody that shows this interest in what you're saying, you're just like, uh, fuck off. Yeah. Like, why do you, why would you want to talk to me? You must be a piece of shit. <laughs> so it's probably like a combination of those things. It's that. And I think I'm just, I'm tired of seeing things about books and I'm tired of hearing about like what, yeah, ma- what yeah. masterpieces these books are. Like I see, I see five or six new masterpieces every day. Right. And it's people posting pictures of books or pictures with authors at author events. And it's, I'm doing exactly the thing that I just said made me mad, right? So it's 100%. My, my theory that I hate it because it's me is 100% mm-hmm. true. But I, get, I, just, I'm t- I know the internet isn't real, but I'm, just, I'm tired of looking at author events. And I'm tired of looking at pictures of books. I'm tired of books, man. Like I've been, I'm reading books right now that I found just through my own searches on Amazon. And really at the end of the day, I think that's honestly how most people probably find books, right? Like I'm reading a book right now called Time Loops by Eric Wargo. And it's just this halfway crazy book about like how time travel is real, right? And we're all Mm -hmm. like the future influences the past and, or rather the future influences the present. And I love it. And I just found it because I happened upon the guy's blog. But I'm just, I'm so tired of being sold to. I just, I see that shit and I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. I think it's the relentless positivity too. There's not a lot of actual criticism going on. I mean, God forbid you criticize any of these books, right? you know, it's, and that just takes this whole other vibe and it's, I don't know. It's like social media is not a place for, for criticism. I, I get, it gets ice cold if you start to rip on anything. If there, if on anybody anything. imagines, yeah. And if they have like a, and they have a, an imagined relationship with those things, right? I've told you it's as soon as I make fun of a superhero movie, it's fucking people. You think that that was ripped on their family member, uh-huh. but then, but then we also have kind of a six degrees of separation to authors out there. So 
it's like nobody even wants to touch these be critical of these authors that they think they might possibly know or see it. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't exist in a arena where there's no criticism, even things I yeah, love, right. Even, even things I love, I find such pleasure in ripping apart. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. So when I see like, they just made me think of this, uh, yesterday, you saw that, uh, Chuck Wendig had a tweet conversation with some other writer that took on a whole kind of scream postmodern horror movie thing. I don't know if you saw this. No, no, please, please do it for me. Okay. So this, uh, I guess this other guy's a horror writer. I hadn't heard of his name. I'm sure that everyone knows who he is, but I don't know who he is. And he had sent a tweet to Wendig that said, um, Hey dude, can I ask you a question? Wendig was like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, I don't even remember how it goes. So I just totally dropped the ball on that. But basically the conversation turns into the guy thinks he might be a killer at a summer camp. And he gives all the clues of why um, things that are weird, things are happening, you know, and Wendig's like, you know, you might be the killer because, and the guys, and it's actually kind of funny, you know, it's genuinely funny exchange. Uh You know, you might be the killer if, and the guy's like, well, I am wearing a mask. And they start like narrowing shit down, like why he might be the killer. It goes on for probably um, 20 or so tweets. Um, People really liked it. Uh, Well, here's the thing. It's a movie now. Mm. It's a fucking movie. So I don't know um, if this is just the cynic in me, (laughs) but I saw the trailer for this thing. So somebody, and it says produced by Chuck Wendig. It stars the she, she was the one in American Pie and that was in the band and she was uh both oh, Allison Hannigan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's she plays a character named Chuck, who's apparently the other person having the conversation on the phone. And the other guy is Sam, whatever his name is, the other author. Uh-huh. So what do you, so oh, act- is it Sam uh, Sam Sykes? Yeah. Who's okay. That? Yeah. I don't know. Him and Wendig are basically like of the same feather. They're the 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 funny horror guys who are like you know there's there's badgers in my pants that kind of <laughs> sense of humor so the, yeah. the the horror oatmeal type guys right 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 there you go perfect okay so yeah so the um so I'm looking at this trailer and even if I this is you know I love the scream movies so it's kind of right in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. it looks like such dog shit that I can't <laughs> I can't believe that this is could possibly be an idea that they thought was going to work. Now, uh-huh. maybe that would be proven wrong. Right. But I guess it premiered this weekend. So a lot of screeners went out. And I know uh, some people that got the screeners and watched it. And I sent them a message and I said, I got to know, can you turn a tweet into a movie? And they were like, no. Wow. But they are they have an embargo that they're not allowed to review it yet. Uh-huh. Um, I assume that our podcast won't go up until monday at the earliest so the embargo would be lifted so the lamest review ever is a, a review of a review i heard <laughs> i heard dude that this that podcast movie, sucks so bad <laughs> it's so bad but i heard it might be dog shit so yeah i don't know it, it just here's the thing though it was so doomed because the the conversation works because it's it's stretching the 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 abilities of a tweet to be interesting Mm -hmm. that movie can't work because what it's doing is it's a retread of scream, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess if scream didn't exist, but then again, you know, for 
today's moviegoers, it might not exist. Scream to them is uh-huh. like watching is like watching Gone with the Wind. You know, it's to them it's the fifties. Mm-hmm. So maybe to people that don't know anything about that postmodern phone call killer <laughs> shit and scream mm-hmm. will think, hey, this is brand new. What a fresh take. But if it I don't know. I think what made the tweets funny was the fact that it was derivative. So the movie is just, it was doomed from the beginning. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, maybe it's a delight, but it looks oh. so fucking bad, dude. It looks I so mean, bad. Probably not, dude. It's probably really bad, but I mean, and the thing is too, I really like the point that you're making there because it, um, well, let me, let me just wrap up the, the, the what I was saying. Okay, I get, the whole po- The whole point of that was um, there's no way anybody's going to criticize that movie. Oh, when it, right, right. You know what I'm saying? That So it made me think. I was looking at it, and I thought, what happens when this lands if this is anywhere near as bad as it seems to be? Mm-hmm. And people are just going to have to, I don't know. I guess they will be tested. Mm-hmm. What happens? Because I don't think there's been a We've been in sort of a privileged position where the people that we are Facebook friends with have been involved in a transition to movies that has been pretty interesting and uh-huh. su- surprisingly good. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like 90%. Yeah. 90% yeah. of the people who are in like our sure. click or, so- or social circle who've made that transition have, have done it in an interesting or cool way. Yeah. There hasn't been any just real fucking bombs. And this looks like it's probably that. And this is the kind of person that everybody loves his every word. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen come Monday? Watch me be proven wrong and it's a decent movie. I don't know. But I can't – I don't know how it could be. And I just think there's going to be a lot of scrambling and I don't know. Or maybe I'm over – It's also exhausting to me, dude. You know, And it's like – I mean he seems like an okay guy. And it's not not even him I think that really – occasionally gets under my skin but it's just it's that whole thing um but i have thing that internet baby talk thing the internet baby talk thing and i have to sort of just get over the fact again because the internet is not real i was thinking (laughs) about this today because i was talking to i talked to two different people on the phone today who like both of them have internet personas that people in private have come to me and been like those two guys are on one you know oh, shit. i hope it's not me no no you're not one of the two man i'm a but... i should i'm a uh, yeah okay i i don't see i think i know you a little bit would irritate you yeah yeah so yeah but if any so, if anything i would have to have like a, a popular internet presence to fall into that sure, category sure and right. i certainly certainly don't but like anyway. so so these two guys like people have come to be private because you know everybody talks when like behind other people's backs. It's just like, it's human beings nature, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, I talked to those guys on the phone and had really great conversations with them as always. And they're super nice and genuine and caring people. And the fact that I know them and I, and I know, and I've begun to see like blowback against some of these people's online personas from, you know, from less successful people, from the haters, if you will, the same way that we're like being haters right now to like a, Chuck what Wendig, up? maybe or whatever. What yeah. up? Hater in the house. <laughs> but like and it, so it made me think, you know, it's like I don't know but I I think that that's important though. I do I think that those people's critiques of my friends or at least the critiques of their online personas are completely valid. 
But I think that that actually works in my favor because what you and I are saying isn't that this person is like a bad guy, right? Like we're saying that I'm, I'm just saying that I think that his online presence, which is extremely popular and has worked out fine for him, sucks in the same way that I think that a show like Friends, which was extremely popular, made everybody involved a lot of money and was ostensibly very successful, sucked. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I I feel like those critiquing someone's Twitter persona now is just, it's kind of in the same realm. I'm not saying that, like, they are bad people. But it gets tricky because people think that Twitter's real. So, you know, meet meet the guy in real life. He might be totally fine. But, yeah, I can't, because I don't really think the oatmeal is funny either. And it is that style of humor. Uh, And I just. It's a a distinct style of humor. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, um, yeah, I, just can't, and, I can't do it, man. It just it's like nails on a chalkboard to me every time I see it. But that, it's just my yeah. personal taste. I think you're probably right that the, these people are probably totally normal people. As as you find out when you talk to these other guys on the phone, they're. But you'll never talk to Wendig on the phone, so you probably know that's all, that's all you've got to deal with. And I don't know. I've never crossed paths with the guy, mm. so he's never he's never wronged me. I guess. Uh, he spoiled he spoiled his episode of uh, Game of Thrones once, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe a psychologist, if they had me on the couch, would say, and this is why you're talking shit about his upcoming movie. And they might be right. <laughs> Probably not, though, dude, because I, I, I do feel like the one place where you don't fuck around is movies. You're right. And that's actually gotten me into a lot of trouble. Because, Well, a lot of trouble compared to, you know, nothing because it's right. on the Internet or conversation with strangers but the fact that i hold movies accountable that are scoring points in other ways uh-huh. and i take them to task for just being a shitty movie people don't like that no. people don't like i you know maybe i'd be i'd be a little better off if i if i gave movies if they scored points for other reasons besides being a good movie i don't know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i like i it i I, I take no pleasure in informing you right now that I went to see the new Spike Lee movie <laughs> and uh-huh. Spike Lee. I don't know. I've talked about him before. Do the right thing is in my top five, probably of all time. Right. A genuinely perfect film. This new movie's not good. And yeah, I guess yeah. give us me no your capsule to... review here. Give us uh, a little summary and then, and then review this bitch. I've sort of forgotten about it a little bit because and I'm just kind of disgusted with the fact that it's got like a 99%. It's it's like people are like, this is good enough. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that's an interesting thing, man, that I, I have to point out real fast that I've always found fascinating about Rotten Tomatoes is that you can – it's literally a mediocre, mediocrity meter, right? Yeah. You can have a movie where everybody's like, eh, I guess it wasn't bad. And it could be like 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it could be like literally every positive quote-unquote review – could just be people saying like i mean i didn't hate it you know yeah it it was um you know i'd put it slightly below okay it's it's in the bottom bottom of his films and there was just some stuff that i don't it was almost like he was out of practice and he was working it out again Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he was he's been making a lot of films though didn't he make uh sweet blood of jesus last year and he did a whole boy a couple of years ago sure and oh, it's closer to old boy as far as what's wrong with it. Those other movies, his limited resources made a more interesting mess. Uh huh. Right. This is a very polished nothing, and it's 
I, I wasn't even ready to talk about it because you didn't go to see it because I think I sent you a message and said, don't bother. I was on the fence and I, 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 oh gosh, I go back and forth so much about whether critiques like this are valid, but I liked Sorry to Bother You so much that I think I, I gave Boots Riley's critique of the film a little bit more weight maybe than it deserved because well, his, it's no, go ahead. Oh, his, his critique essentially centers around, uh, Lee and co changing the facts of the film in order to make a cop the hero and boots is essentially saying that that's fucked up which is a valid critique but i'm not really sure if that's a valid critique of a movie maybe it is yeah no i see what he's saying if and i would disagree with him if the movie was good Right. I would say go, go ahead and throw out – make it interesting by adding shit. That's a great idea because what they have up there is it's it fails in two ways. It's not a good movie and it's not an honest movie. Like if it was more honest, then it would – you'd probably say, well, that's what happened. you know. And what's happened might necessarily not be which, you know – as dynamic as an action movie, but they added a couple action movie elements mm-hmm. that make it even worse. And, um, you know, I, there, I have some good things to say about it when I got out of the movie, but I've forgotten them. That's how mad I, the more I thought about it, the matter I got, uh-huh. there, are, there are some things that he drops a ball on that are so fucking inexcusable, dude. The old, the only moment of actual tension in that movie is, um, is a mistake. So you, I don't know if you know about the plot of the 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 real situation is uh, there's a, a black cop who calls. He sees a number in the paper that says join the KKK, and he, so he calls it up, and he he's surprised at how easy it would be to do it. And then he goes to his superiors and says, "Hey, let me go undercover," because they had him undercover at the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. He was he was feeling weird about it. Um, and they dropped the ball on that plot too. But he's feeling weird about it because he goes there and he thinks this is not. A terrorist organization. So he, on his own, he thinks, let me join the KKK on the phone and see if I can get some dirt. So then him and his buddy cop, the guy, the fucking Darth Vader, he says, uh, I'll be you when I go and we'll just keep it good. We'll keep the ball in the air, you know? And it's so, it seems critic proof, right? It seems like a foolproof idea for a movie. Here's a problem. I didn't realize it was all over the phone too. I thought it was well, one of the, I thought it was not. absurd. Like, uh, like the Dave Chappelle skit. It, no, the, when in person they send the white guy and he just says he's the same guy's name. So you just have a white guy who infiltrates the KKK under the name of because the guy there's a, a mistake that could potentially be more interesting than they make it, which is when the black dude calls up, he uses his real name. I don't know if he thought it's like uh, it's like that Joe Rogan skit where the guy who breaks into the White House keeps doesn't realize he was going to get that far. Oh, yeah. Classic <laughs> bit. Yeah, that's a great yeah, it's a, it's a good bit. And it's kind of like that. Like he didn't realize maybe he would infiltrate it so quickly. It's going to be efficiently. that easy. Right. Yeah. So he's uh, so they send the other guy to be him and use his real name, um, which should make for some tension, but never really does. And so the white guy. He's the one who's the main focus of the rest of the movie. But uh, understandably, they want to make the lead, Denzel Washington's son, plays the lead with zero charisma. Mm. He's like, he's not good. Mm. And uh, he, they try to make him the lead. So they keep inserting him into moments like when they're swearing in the white guy. Mm-hmm. He somehow is able to give, slip some dude some money to peer in through a window and watch it just so he can be in the scene. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the guy's not in the movie at all after a certain point because the, the white guy's the one who's undercover. 
anyway, so the tension would be kind of like uh, Donnie Brasco or uh, what's or Goodfellas, where somebody's wearing a wire. Did somebody wear a wire in Goodfellas? I don't remember. But uh, the white guy's wearing a wire with the KKK, so that should inherently be suspenseful, right? It's classic. That's a classic suspenseful trick. How do you fuck that up? They fuck it up. They mm-hmm. fuck it up nonstop. It means nothing that he's wearing a wire. I don't know if that means in real life he didn't, so they didn't know what to do with it. So there's no moments when you're worried about him being discovered about wearing a wire. And then there's a moment that this is the part that I said was the biggest mistake in the movie. So I'm watching the movie in Berkeley with a, the most liberal audience you could imagine. Yeah. Everybody, they're hanging on every word. They're, they're clapping and talking to the screen. Like, you know, they feel like their ticket has solved racism. Right. So it's, <laughs> so it's already insufferable. Uh-huh. The crowd around me is insufferable. Uh-huh. Um, but I can tell that they're not really, in suspense like i i can't help but watch people react to this movie because it got kind of dull and there's only one moment when you're afraid for the undercover guy and it's because of, of a mistake in the film in the film they've he's overlapped dialogue with what's just happening on screen so imagine there's a conversation happening but the movie has moved ahead a little bit and it's showing people doing something later which is can be effective you know that's not that's not the mistake. The mistake is that the phone call you hear in the audio is the KKK guy talking to the white guy, right? Mm-hmm. So he's on the phone. He's like, hey, where are you at right now? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. The KKK guy is talking to the black guy on the phone who's pretending to be the white guy, right? Mm-hmm. So he's talking to him. He's like, where are you at? The movie cuts to the white guy getting out of a car heading for the house where the KKK guy is talking on the phone. So so the crowd, there's an audible gasp in the theater. This is how I know it's not just me looking for problems. Uh, there's an audible gasp in the theater. They're like, oh, my God, he's going to walk in while this guy's on the phone with the black version, oh, right? Shit. That would have been fantastic. Right. But guess what? what? What they were showing is on the screen were things that happened like later. Uh, but, well, I don't know if that's a mistake, though. No, it's that, a mistake. It's that, a sounds, mis- that sounds when more you like see, a camera no, trick. No, no, okay. no. I'll take your word it's, for it. When you're watching it, it's a huge mistake. Because you look. Because when it happened, I looked around, and it, the air goes out of the room because, oh, that's not even... Huh. The, what the audience thought was a moment of suspense didn't even exist in the movie. Well, now I have to see this just to know if you're right or not. I'm so right, dude. When you watch <laughs> it, you'll say, what the fuck? How do you uh-huh. fuck that up? Right. And it's... It's one of those fuck ups that I saw when I saw his old boy remake. Mm. Like, uh, almost seems like maybe styles getting in the way of like good storytelling. Or I think there's an indifference when Uh there's, there's just not a commitment to, and this is again, understandable. I think there's not a commitment to putting the white character in peril. Mm, Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can feel his indifference about those situations. They make the KKK guys. One of them is a, a literal drooling idiot. Mm-hmm. And the other guy is supposed to be the evil one. And at one point, the evil one puts uh, makes the white guy do a lie detector test. Mm-hmm. He gets him into a room. And he's like, I'm going to ask you some questions. Should be suspenseful, right? Right. And the other guy's like, ah, fuck off. I don't want to do this. And there's kind of a back and forth. And at one point you realize, but the director didn't bother to really show it happen, that the that the racist guy has pulled a gun out. Mm. But, but they didn't show him pull a gun out. So it's just kind of in his hand mid-conversation. So they don't even give you the moment of a guy at gunpoint saying, I'm going to put you through this lie detector test. And if you lie, you're going to die. Oh, like wow. the, 
like the the movie doesn't give a fuck. That's that's interesting. I want see. Hmm. It's so bizarre, dude. Moments like that, you'll think, man, if you just would have shown him pull a gun on that guy, we would think this guy is about ready to get exposed. Yeah. There's no moments when you think he's going to get exposed. Mm-hmm. And there's no and it, and if you look at what happens in the movie, nothing happens with him infiltrating except they get one funny picture of David Duke so that they can uh-huh. laugh about it later. It's Actually, it's almost like you know it's so interesting. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead and finish your point. No, I was just going to say that it, it, it so you, you have a non-suspenseful undercover movie. So you look to the other part to be the interesting part. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, it came after um, the better movie. I, right. I hate to say it, but the because think about the similarities. You you have, you have the white voice thing going on. You have the white voice. You have a, a black guy on the phone doing the white voice to infiltrate that mm-hmm. zone. Mm-hmm. And you also have, um, you know, not to take away from the other guy's movie, but. Uh, sorry to bother you. Has some Spike Lee influences, some big oh, sure. time, of course, big time, right down to the poster. So you feel like you're watching an edgier, younger Spike Lee movie, and then you watch this, and this feels like somebody imitating a Spike Lee movie. Right. So, and it is kind of interesting too that you know he did have his critique of it or whatever, but it did kind of feel like you know dealing that death blow to the king, right? Like yeah, kind of, like kind of come yeah. coming for his head, but like, which is he which said, is weird and in its own way, I feel a little bad about because it seems a little racist to say that there's like there's only room for one radical black filmmaker, but it <laughs> it's just it seems it's to not, be kind I of just... how pop culture positions them. You know what's interesting though, man, is uh, this is why to kind of go back to the beginning of our conversation when you were talking about how you can't say shitty things about books online and it makes everything kind of turn into this colorless morass this this makes me want to watch the movie actually like you talking about the mistakes i I would love if you watched it i that's the thing i I didn't it wasn't like i I wanted to take people down a few notches who liked it essentially it just made me sad like i was looking forward to it so much that i didn't want to talk about it at all so maybe that's what happens is that what i perceive as people not wanting to rip on a movie is people just being disappointed you know so the energy goes out of it just like we didn't want to do it for the podcast or you didn't go watch it so i thought eh, fuck it Mm -hmm. it's just because i came out of it kind of depressed and that dude nailed it as far as critiquing his letting cops off the hook there's an extended sequence in this movie where they let the cops off the hook in a way that's laughably bad, uh-huh. especially considering when it took place. There's this celebration of getting this other racist cop in trouble. And uh, it, it falls so flat that even even that Berkeley audience didn't really know what to do with that scene. It, it felt like it was going to be a like a, a double sting that the guy that they were – I said the, the ending with the – with the big sting on this racist cop feels like a, a setup to, to a real moment because it, it falls so flat yeah. and, and it feels, it feels gross. It feels like it's pandering to people, white people who like cops. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I think, and I think that that's where uh, my critique for a lot of this lies um, is that it feels to me like a lot of the, kind of liberal Hollywood and by extension liberal white people on social media seem to, um, I don't know, just like kind of put like all black people into one category. And mm-hmm. then they have like their ideas about like what black people are, which is oddly racist in its own way. 
Yeah, it would, and I would normally not put those two movies in Thunderdome together uh-huh. to fight it out, except that one is clearly a Spike Lee inspired piece. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. You know, they feel like, and plus the other guy called the other guy out. They should. I don't know. I, I'm hoping that now that Spike Lee, that was produced by uh, what's his name, uh, the Get Out guy, uh, uh, Jordan Peele. Yeah. So I'm hoping maybe this was the beginning of of a more beautiful friendship with those guys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe this kick starts him into gear. He's uh, I would I would guess to, to, to armchair psychiatrist here for a minute that Spike Lee is probably pretty bitter about his Hollywood experience. He made some amazing movies that were totally ignored, like Malcolm X, just mm. totally ignored. In, so, even like Inside Man, that's a great movie, man. Yeah, that was a great, so, that was a solid genre movie, and people didn't, why didn't, wasn't that a huge fucking hit? Mm-hmm. So I would understand that if he was just like, here, here's a half-ass what you want. You want me to do this dance for you? Here's, here's your KKK movie. Mm-hmm. And maybe we get to see what's, some more interesting stuff now that he has some Jordan Peele money. You know, yeah, that, that, you know, that guy's that guy's king of the world right now. He's made, he's rebooting Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. So maybe with that backing, we get to see him finally, we get to see him wake back up. Because mm-hmm. this this was not, this was, some one review said, maybe another edit would help this movie. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. that was one of the, one of the very rare bad reviews of this movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody else just glowing right. reviews this movie. Right. And it, it seems to me also, and I, I would have to see it to make sure that my critique actually was valid at all, but I feel like with a movie like Sorry to Bother You, or I hate to do this because it's another quote-unquote black person movie, but like with Get Out, it seems mm-hmm. like those movies have kind of mean and pointed critiques specifically at specific people, right? And I yeah. think that... Uh, Black Klansman to me in a way does seem to be like a product right now of sort of bougie white rage like kind of yeah it lets fuck the, the fuck the Cheeto president type rage put into a film right it lets it lets the cops off the hook and because the if you go into it thinking man it's really going to stick it to the KKK that's that's such low hanging fruit who you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he and you to give him credit he knows that and so that particular target is just sort of batted around like a, like a fucking like a cat who catches a, uh, catches a fly and is mm-hmm. it's you know it's it, it has no real, no real teeth are going on there. It's just like here these guys are fucking idiots because they're a terrible villain really. You know right. what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Especially at that time. At that time they're and they're depicted as such, which is its own kind of takedown. But the the fucking target should have been the cops, right. especially because. Think about it. It's a three-level infiltration. He's yes, he inf- he he goes undercover with the Black Panthers, and he you know he gets a weird vibe there. Like maybe we shouldn't be, you know, vi- um, making these guys into villains. And then he goes undercover with the fucking KKK, and it's like these guys are fucking idiots. So what he is is he's already undercover with the cops. You know what I mean? Right, like his right, life right. is undercover. They don't explore that. Like how do you not explore that? Right. That's the target. But but instead, like that other director said, it's just nonstop yeah there's a little bit a little edge with one particular cop Uh who's bad but all the rest of them are they're just like these kindly dad types yeah yeah and at the end they're like good job buddy it's like no that didn't happen that would never (laughs) have that wouldn't happen today let alone the fucking 70s around this place jesus yeah no it does it does seem that to me um again bougie white liberal rage is largely toothless and it's annoying because it's so toothless 
And uh, we're getting a lot of quote-unquote art right now that is similarly toothless. Like most um, cable comedy political shows are just yes. these completely yeah. limp, right down, soggy, right down the right terrible, down the like John Oliver and Stephen Colbert and Trevor Noah. Like it's all just this really just – it makes me sick. And it feels like maybe from what I'm getting from you, of course me having not seen the film – uh, it feels that like hasn't, it might that be... hasn't stopped you before, dude. Nah, dude, I'll make a judgment call. Whatever. <laughs> That's what almost good is all about, man. We we take this shit out like we look at the fucking we look at the cookie tin after we put the dough on the on the pan, and we say we're sitting there eating like scraping the little bits out of the out of the cookie cookie tin after the wait out of the the roll right, and uh, we're looking we're like hey if we're already eating the dough, we, we don't have to wait forty five minutes. Like you know what's? It's probably good give, right there. I'll give. I'll let people off the hook a little bit. People that love this movie, it has a final five minutes that makes you think you saw a better movie than you uh-huh. did. Right. right. And uh, and it was kind of an eleventh hour edition. They threw in some Charlottesville footage and some. Uh, oh boy. And so when you see that, mm-hmm. ironically, you're reminded of what a kind of milk toast movie you just saw because that shit makes you mad. You know, it actually gets you fucking wound up and right. which black Klansman does not do and um see and if it had any if it had teeth to it also i just i feel like just go directly after those guys like like yeah. just well i, I mean it do, because they happen so far apart it, it does i mean spike lee's good at that he did that with uh, malcolm x you know at the when he was putting the movie together the uh, Rodney King beating happened. So at the very last minute, they put that beating as the opening where the American flag burns down to an X. So imagine here, think of the difference. You know, you go see this movie where cops are giving each other noogies and they love each other. And Malcolm X, which starts off with the American flag burning down to an X, (laughs) burning down to an X over top of the Rodney King beating. So eventually it's saying we're starting here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so this movie kind of did that at the very end where it adds the Charlottesville stuff. So you start to get that charge. It's like I had that charge at the beginning of Malcolm X. But here I watched this very kindly made for TV kind of deal. And then now it shows up and I feel like it was too little too late. And it reminded me of what it could have been. But for a lot of people, I understand that a lot of people would watch that. And you get so fucking wired by the end of that movie that you walk out of it and you're like, fuck, yeah, man. You know what I mean? But what you got, but that that's what reminded you of what it could have been to me. I don't know. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Right. So it's just like any movie that has a really good last scene. You think you saw a better movie than you saw or, or the reverse. If a movie dr- fucks up at the very end, you, you kind of remember it a little worse. You know what I mean? Well, That's what happened with the sixth sense, right? Everybody remembers that as a classic. And when you go back through it, it's like, it's a moody, pretty decent atmospheric yeah. little thriller. Cause it's twist, right? Yeah, but the twist is what made that movie awesome, right? Because people that was before right. the absolute There's... like the, before it became like a cliche, and they were like, "Oh God, Shyamalan's going to do another. He's gonna <laughs> he's gonna twist it." And I would really prefer if he just didn't twist it. It would be much better. Just right. give me that shit straightforward. There's a movie without a twist that's a middle of the road kind of movie from the '80s called Shakedown with Peter Weller and uh, Sam Elliott as two cops. Uh-huh. One of them's like. Or I'm sorry, one's a lawyer and one's a cop, and the one's kind of the hippie dude, and you know Sam Elliott is the hard ass cop, and it's a pretty good movie. I remember loving that movie and watching it a lot, but I always would turn it off at the end 
because it had the worst ending ever. It had an ending where I think Sam Elliott's hanging from the wheels of an airplane and it's on this like green screen shitty effects. Like they didn't know what to do with the movie. So they have this stupid cheap action sequence Mm -hmm. and it just totally ruins my shakedown memories. Like because the beginning of it is it's got some gritty solid shit. And then somebody at the last minute said, fuck it. So that's the reverse. (laughs) That's the reverse. Yeah. And a sh- yeah. shout out to Shakedown if anybody yeah. wants to watch that movie. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about Mandy now? Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like an, that's hours later. Yeah. So I, I said to you earlier that are we in trouble as far as that one? Because when it was over, I thought we kind of already talked about this. What do you think about that? Uh, I do. I think that I think that Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow are almost exactly the same film. Um, even, even down to check this out, dude, even down to the running time, they are almost exactly the same length Two two hours and one minute. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I go back (laughs) and look at my copy of beyond the black rainbow, I think it's like, it's maybe two Oh three. And like, that's, that's a matter of credit sequence. Right. Um, and they are both so evenly divided into 40 minutes, uh, thirds. That it's it's pretty like you could, in Mandy there are even title <laughs> cards to distinguish the thirds right, but in Beyond the Black Rainbow it basically feels like you're watching three different forty minute movies because remember in in Rainbow it's the interior of the insane asylum and then the second third is the psychedelic trip and then the third third is the House of Horrors you know uh, right. the the Alice in Wonderland type thing and then in Mandy you have the first third which is I don't even know mood setting. Like actually, my favorite, my favorite stuff. Yeah, I I, yeah, I liked movie. it too. I liked it too. Yeah, we can get to that too. How I actually think that <clears> when <throat> the movie kicks into being Mandy is when I didn't it actually... like it. That's when I was disappointed. Actually, yeah, I love yeah, I like the movie a lot, but um, to not, not to uh, do anything to your analogy, but the third, the the final third of Be- uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow has a mini segment in it, which is a full third of Mandy, if that makes any sense. So the, right. the camp, the campfire goonery and slasher stuff is the final third of Mandy. So it's funny that we've been talking about these movies that you know, like with the endless and, uh, the way these mini movies and other movies have morphed into their new style or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, cause we had the theory about black rainbow that that was him pandering to gore hounds so is he? Does that mean he's really pandering now? Because he made the full third of the movie, essentially a, a revenge exploitation gore fest, right. or is that where? Or is the real him blooming? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it felt know. like it felt like that campfire sequence was the final third of this movie when it's, and when the title card Mandy shows up, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I I liked that a lot too. I thought, oh shit, that's the longest <laughs> pre-title card <laughs> sequence of all time, uh, yeah. except for the ones of, obviously where it shows up at the end of the movie, which happens too. But um, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting choice. And you know, for me, there's nothing particularly wrong with the final third of Mandy. I think it has some really cool imagery. Specifically, I'm a sucker for that Marilyn Manson church burning type shit. So right, when he right. when he goes into the secret layer and crushes dude's skull and uh you know and then the church is burning in the background and there's that doom metal soundtrack over it 
all that is super tight. But it's great. But then, to kind of get back what? to it, just re- just real quick, plot synopsis of Mandy. Um, a guy's oh, yeah. a guy's. He lives out in the woods in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you which, should set it up a little bit that yeah. he. It seems to take place in the same universe as it does. Beyond it the does. Black Rainbow. It's the, it's Go the, ahead. It's the same year, so it's they're both take place in 1983. Uh, I think pretty much in the same area. Um, and there, Ronald Reagan, Reagan still looms over it all. Right, right. There's a it's really like a, good sequence. The, they they the did something so interesting bad. with the audio when he's in the car listening to Ronald. It feels like uh, very sinister and otherworldly when he's yeah, it's like to he, on it's that. almost and plus with that weird hellscape at the end, I feel like he's what he without coming out and saying it, he's doing this retro future 1983. The sort of parallel existence, and it all kind of hinges on Reagan. Right. <laughs> like Reagan, Reagan sent us to hell or something. But anyway, uh-huh. go ahead. Go I ahead like that. I like that a lot. Um, but so he's uh, he's a logger in the Pacific Northwest, and he lives with his uh, sort of heavy metal girlfriend, Mandy, who works at a gas station and reads a lot of cheesy sci-fi books. And then a uh, a cult rolls into town, a Jesus cult with a very interestingly played yes. savior figure. I thought he was probably the best part of the movie. Yeah, the um, fact that he's to make the, to make a cult leader pathetic and yeah. not pure, not the pure evil that the previews might lead you to believe. Uh-huh. The fact that he's a failed musician. We'll talk about him later, but that's a brilliant move to yeah. defang defang him. You know, oh totally, and it makes it just makes him that much worse because like the the villain is always more effective. I think when. You don't want to get like homophobic with it, but when he's a little simpering, right? Mm-hmm. And a little just Oh suck your dick. Right, right, right. That's a real <laughs> line from the movie. So anyway, so he's 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 driving by in in the the Jesus freaks are driving by in their van and they see Mandy and from there they use something called the horn of Abraxas. Uh she's walking through the woods. Okay, so she's walking through the woods and she is spotted by the group of Jesus freaks. What a fucking sequence, dude! It's so great. It's fantastic. Band, so this, so the sequence is awesome. It's yeah, it's all shot with this uh, red filter, and you kind of see her on this uh, sort of fade in repeat, where the same shot of her passing the van is replayed over and over again, right? Um, and yeah, it's just it's really dreamy and effective. Did did you watch this? Did you watch this on iTunes or did you go to a theater? Uh, I tried to go to the theater. Was only here for one day, so I watched oh. it on iTunes. But I did, I did adjust everything correctly. I was in. It was uh, at midnight, and I mm-hmm. adjusted the TV. So I got. I think I got the experience as best I could. I did too. I have a pretty badass TV, so the whole like this demands a theater experience. I'm like, why? So there can be somebody talking the whole movies next to me, kicking my an actual cheddar goblin <laughs> just like sitting next to me. Fucking... <laughs> But, uh, oh, shit. That, what, that's a great uh, parallel. Yeah. Our, our movie, our movie gremlins. Yeah, yeah. But so anyway, so the Jesus freak decides that he wants Mandy for himself to to rape. Um, and so he he has his followers go out into the woods and use something called the Horn of Abraxas, which is this sort of meteorite ocarina looking type thing that makes this very kind of haunting goose call out into the woods. Um, and I lo- this is when I knew that I loved the movie was when they was when they did this because after the horn sounds the kind of second in command Jesus freak guy goes back to the van with the incredibly overacting uh, Germanic mulleted 
dudes, right? And mm. over the hill comes these th- these three Hellraiser Cenobite dudes on motorcycles, <laughs> right? And this guy comes down looking like the fucking evil version of Doug Jones and Hellboy, right? Like this fish man. Right. And he just drinks a a fucking mason jar of what looks like I thought it was cum at first, but I but guess it's out blood. It's, it's, no, it's supposed to be acid. It's supposed to be LSD. Oh, it's pure LSD. Oh, okay, got it. I thought he was drinking cum, and he was like, lum, 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 delicious cum. Uh, that changes the whole movie. <laughs> I was like, this is so sick. It's, Either... it's monsters that drink cum. Because <laughs> I thought, I literally, dude, I had a whole story for this, and I thought it was really dark, because I, I swear, this is embarrassing now, but I thought the whole like Colt was just jacking off into these mason jars for days so they could Maybe. they could pay the these reason, monsters in I think it's LSD cuz uh No, you're right. You're of course cause, you're right. Cuz Nicolas Cage finds the jar and he just t- takes a tiny bit and puts it on his tongue right. and he enters the and he enters the movie beyond the black rainbow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no. You're you're 100% right. I was I'm a dipshit. But anyway, um so these guys they enlist their help because you know they get this kick-ass blotter acid cum uh so they basically go and they kidnap mandy and they tie uh nicholas cage's character up with a barbed wire and of course like you know jesus style you know Mm -hmm. like he's got the whole um and then uh the the cult leader has there's this great scene where he's talking this is probably the best scene in the whole movie so he's talking to mandy and they have dosed her with both the acid and the uh, this kind of wasp, I think, that was soaked yeah. soaked in the acid. Is that what the wasp was was doing? Yeah, some sort of wasp, some sort of giant. Like, there's YouTube videos where guys do increasing levels of stings to see how bad it is. Uh-huh. And that I'm pretty sure that's one of the creatures that one of the high end stings will give you. Uh-huh. Right. So right, it's right. some sort of wood wasp thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they basically so she gets stung on the neck, and then there's this. There's this great like uh, 3D eye effect going on on the screen mm-hmm. where everybody's like got this blue tracer that um, isn't really exactly what it's like to be tripping that much balls, but it's pretty damn close. It's a pretty decent represent. Like if like basically what both Beyond the Black Rainbow because remember I said this in in the, in the review of that like if you were to be tripping and you went to go see either Mandy or Beyond the Black Rainbow, you, it, I would freak the fuck out. Right. Because it it touches every every trigger for somebody who is in the psychedelic zone to have an extraordinarily bad trip. Right. Um, But anyway, so there's this scene where the uh, cult leader is speaking to her after she's been dosed and she's looking at him. So the camera is looking directly into the cult leader's eyes and they use this fantastic fade mixing effect to kind of like place Mandy's face over the cult leader's face and it's it's pretty mm-hmm. seamless actually they they look yeah. kind of similar I didn't I didn't notice it the first time actually I went back and watched the opening half again and and realized so maybe I didn't have the TV set as perfect as I thought cuz I didn't Damn, notice son. but I was laying sideways so who knows okay but anyway so so he basically he takes his clothes off and a very brave actor who's got this little ass dick um, and she basically laughs at his penis. Like she laughs at, yeah. well, she laughs cause he starts playing a record, uh, his own song, uh, his own song about how awesome he is. <laughs> and the combination of his tiny penis and this song about him just strikes Mandy as hilarious. So she starts laughing at him. And in what I think is a, 
probably somewhat blunt but very pointed critique of male fragility, he then hangs her and burns her alive for her for laughing yeah. at him. And you know it's, it, that sequence is interesting too because it, it when the movie starts and he sees her on the road and he and before you know how pathetic he is and you realize oh that's the cult that's going to murder her and then. Mm-hmm. For a while, I thought, am I going to even want to watch this? Because this has got the intensity is the levels are so high and it feels so evil. Mm-hmm. You know, it just feels like such a dark experience. Right. So when he turns out to be pathetic and when there's this moment of empowerment where she gets to laugh at him, I feel like the movie lets you off the hook there. Yeah. The movie says, yes, she's going to be killed horribly, but she gets kind of a badass moment before it happens. So it doesn't feel as. Um, as brutal as watching like a cold case files episode where you just read them, mm-hmm. you hear about something really horrible happens and you just can't stop thinking about right. what a horrible experience that would be. Yes. She's killed horribly, but she's given a moment of triumph over the cult before it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that lets you, that lets you off the hook of what could have been a much darker experience. Well, yeah. I mean, the tension was so uh, palpable so that, that so Rios high. actually like looked at her phone for the first half of the movie. Pretty much until uh, Mandy had been burned and Nicolas Cage go, starts building his axe and goes into full-on revenge mode. That's when she <laughs> like put her phone down and looked up and she was like, yeah, I just – I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't I, – it was too much because <laughs> it is. It's, yeah. a, it's a lot, man. It's uh, – It is. And I, I do prefer that half of the movie, but uh, – um, but yeah, you should you should finish your summary. Like the the rest of it, you can sum up probably in a sentence. Oh, the rest, <laughs> yeah, the rest of it is basically Nicolas Cage obviously escapes. Um, they they stab him. It's never really mentioned. Uh, he he's, he has this uh, fantastic scene where he kind of wriggles loose, and the movie doesn't even like try to get clever with how, why they let him live. Mm-hmm. Um, they just let him live because that's what has to. There there. This is definitely a movie that knows it's a movie. Um, and the, one of the good things about movies that know that they're movies is that they don't, they don't go out of their way to try to convince you about like the logic of the plot. Right. Which I, Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate. So anyway, Nicholas Cage goes back into his house and, uh, he's a teetotaler and he goes into this bottom drawer and pulls out a bottle of vodka, which I think, even though I'm, I'm with you and I prefer the first half of the movie, I do think his kind of drunken freak out scene is my favorite scene of the movie. Yeah, that's the that's the Kubrick scene, which is great because for a while you're thinking, man, this is like David Lynch. Um, he's channeling Lynch mm-hmm. in a, in a great way, but then you get a total Stanley Kubrick bathroom. Yeah, oh <laughs> so, yeah, that's a super Kubrick so bathroom, and it's kind of so like the camera's on a dolly like a... too, and that the, the the camera's doing something really interesting in that scene, where it's like it's zooming in, but it feels like it's zooming in on a dolly, right? Like I don't think it's like using a zoom function. I don't know how cameras work. But it feels like if you're the camera, the camera like approaches him and then he like he'll glance up and the camera will like skirt back a little bit like a frightened animal, you know, and then it kind of like creeps forward and then it zooms back really fast again. And I'd never I don't think I've ever seen that done in film before. And I thought it was really effective because it felt like the camera itself was afraid of him. Yeah, it um, definitely a new style shows up there. Uh, it it, be, it feels like a different movie. The uh, once he once he goes full, which revenge. is what I love about Panos Cosmatos, man. I I really like that about both Black Rainbow and Mandy. I like that it fe- that it's so fucking uneven. 
I like three different movies that have yeah. all just been like super well, I think together. I think you're right about. Um, I think it's smart of him to divide it into three with those title cards, because it's it is a three part. It is kind of a trilogy of of vibes too. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that so like the the ending is is very simply him killing every other person in the movie sure <laughs> that's it right. there you go that's, yeah i forgot to, i forgot to sum it up but yeah that's the rest of the movie um but it makes and, and there's such a divide between those parts that this is what i wanted to ask you too why have two gangs like the because they it's almost like um my theory is that the movie could exist with just those Cenobite bikers, as you described them, uh-huh. which, by by the way, I looked in the credits to see what they were called. Did you see their names? Scratch, Scabs, and Fuck Pig. Dude, that is <laughs> sick. I did not look in the credits, but that that I appreciate the movie more now. Scratch, Scabs, and Fuck Pig. There might be another one. Um, I think there might have been four at one point. I don't know. But, but yeah, so it feels like the first half, if it would have went the just ultimate evil route that it is just a heavy metal album cover come to life. That is, that is the nemesis, right? Right. But then I feel like he, he wanted to do two things and, and he did rather than change, rather than say, you know what, those, that's uh-huh. a little too abstract and simple minded. What if it was a, what if the cult leader was pathetic and he was a failed musician? And then like the, the, the things we love about this guy is he said, nah, let's do it both. Yeah. So, yeah. Right, right, right. We have two. There's no reason to have two gangs, even though, like, why not just have the ones that they summon be the villains? Because he dispatches them surprisingly easily. He does. Yeah. That that would uh, if if I had one beef with the movie. Okay, I'll address your concern first. I actually I don't have a problem at all with there being two gangs, right? Because they serve two different. I mean, just from the movie's perspective, you kind of have the main gang which is a bunch of uh let's say less than tough dudes right Mm -hmm. and you know and you you got to have the big bads that turn out to not really be that big or that bad um yeah if i did have one complaint about the whole movie i think the action was just not very good um yeah he had that he had that he had his dad's action style like i don't (laughs) you got that early 90s like fucking where he'll lift the chainsaw up and it'll quick cut over to somebody blocking and then quick cut back to, and you get, you get so lost, right? With that cutting back and forth. And I think we're spoiled with action movies like the raid and stuff where the, the action is extremely clear and the camera's just like kind of following it as it's happening. Well, 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 foreign action movies are, have that clarity and that distance from the action. American movies still do that shit where it's, they, they make the action in the editing Mm-hmm. And so it, it has that same bo- – you get that boredom from right. all those cuts. Right. That's what I like about some distance from the action. But, yeah, you're right. It, he's not good at action. And um, it, it kind of reminded me of Kill Bill where Kill Bill 1 starts with the final bosses essentially, the, the really tough ones. Mm-hmm. And then and then that character works her way down mm-hmm. even though she's she's working her way up, but she's working her way down. We go back I mean? to Kill Bill a lot in this show. At least twice. But think about it. <laughs> think about it. Those first, the 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 Cenobites were, were the big, the big bads, right? right? The final bosses. And then when she works her way to the actual bosses, it's when she, when when, Miss, Mrs. Cage works her way to the actual bosses. Uh-huh. Uh, they, it's all conversations and kind of yeah. pathetic. 
No, it's okay. it, it is it's true except yeah. for in Mandy. Have you lost oh, me? I'm losing you again. Yeah, God no, damn, it makes sense. It's fine. Skype. I think about the uh, the fucking monsters on the bikes. Well, something else that frustrated me is that his journey is kind of meaningless. There's uh-huh. a lot of vague talk of go north, uh-huh. you know, and he finds them. He finds them instantly in the next scene with right, <laughs> no, right. you know what I mean. Right. So it's like the movie says here, you, here you go, and then he shoots them on the road. How did he find them? Who? Why? Why were they out again? Didn't they have to be summoned with, with the fucking with the uh, horn? You know yeah. the acid jizz, and the and the horn like. Like, why would they even be just kind of cruising around? And he could have so, yeah, done something that, with that, too, because he kills the guy who has the horn first. That's got, that guy's right. the first to go. Yeah, and then, so when he stops at the guy with the tiger, that's the guy who made the drugs? Uh-huh. Did, am I following? Yeah. That, that, scene, that, scene, that scene rules, that, though. That, it's weird, but I like a that great, part a lot. It's a great scene. I don't and that's yeah, I I do I agree. I like that scene. What about the animation? I thought the animation did nothing for me. Oh, it's bad. I know it was I liked really it. Bad. Old, I I wish that they had gotten some like some actual good animation. Um, it kind of reminds me they might actually be the same it's, people. It's definitely nineteen. It's definitely nineteen eighty three animation. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, so for sure. It but it's like, but there there was this Kickstarter recently. I think for people, they were animators for heavy metal, and they were working on this like kind of. I don't know, death metal cartoon movie. And I went to Kickstarter to watch their like promotional video for it. And it's that exact type of like jerky, weird animation. And I was like, I don't know. That just, mm-hmm. It doesn't look, sorry, I'm a little gassy. It just doesn't look good to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's somebody described this movie. Um, I think it was Gemma files on Facebook. She described it with perfect, perfect description. She said the movie is heavy metal van art. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a great, it's such a great description of it. Yeah. And I feel like the animation was was another, you know, olive leaf towards the heavy metal album cover lovers. Is here's some, you know, here's something else you like from sure. L- literally the movie Heavy Metal animation that looks like it should be in the movie Heavy Metal. Right. Um, it just didn't do anything for well, me. It just um, the movie was so much better than that. You well, I, I was I was talking to uh, Jordan on the phone about it. Jordan Harper, who loved it very much, and we were kind of uh, debating this book, Cherry, and then also talking about how much we love Mandy. But he said something that I think was very, very important, which he was like, I kind of feel like Cosmatos doesn't know how to tell a story, right? The script clearly needs a lot of work. <laughs> um, and it's like, but he and I are both, in agreement with this, we're like, we would both be on board with just no script. Just like, just go pure. Yeah. Abstract weirdo visual. He does. He does want to tell a story though. That's the thing I saw. Um, uh, was it, uh, Michael Kazepi was, he was saying like, this reeks of a trust fund and he was all mad at him. Uh And I would, I would normally, uh, I love the, uh, class warrior rage there, but the thing about, nepotism when it comes to the arts is i it's the only time i think it's okay yeah me too dude. that i feel like I, I feel like this guy is kind of a born filmmaker i feel like visually he can tell a great story so as far as telling a script story out of you know maybe he'll never know how to do it but that's like lynch sure. right no lynch no I, no I, no i totally agree i think we're on the same page though right like i mean i just what i'm saying is i don't feel so like the story. Yeah, I don't feel like the revenge narrative or anything like that. Like it, it's none of it's important. Just go, just go with felt, your gut. It, it felt like pandering. I feel like he gets he get he's like the the dog that caught the fucking uh, 
caught caught the post off postal truck right he didn't know what to do he got nicholas cage he didn't know what to do with him uh-huh. you know if you have nicholas cage you gotta kind of have him go nicholas cage and do the revenge plot but imagine if it was nobody mm-hmm. and you just kind of lingered in the limbo of that first hour uh-huh. it wouldn't be as popular sure no the people and you know it, and i really, I really do. hate the first half but i would like it better i do i do have to kind of like nitpick this thing too that i've been seeing a lot of Watch Nicolas Cage go full Nicolas Cage. He doesn't really. He it's it's kind of an understated thing, except for like two or three scenes in the movie, right? Like he does a couple yeah, the, of. You tore my shirt. You tore my shirt. You tore my shirt, and like he has like you're a vicious snowflake, which is a very weird. It's there are some lines in there that dip into like feeling weird for weird's sake, which I hate. I hate that term. I can't believe I just used it, but. Um, but no, but I, I I didn't feel that it was like oh this is super Nicholas Cagey, I I don't mm-hmm. I don't get that. I think that that's just and like it, what's that's a weird is... meme that people pick up on, right? Right. <laughs> doesn't actually I think, have. Like, I think any you're right here. about. Right. I think you're right about the. They they feel like they got to use the Nicholas Cage weirdness, and what's funny is it sidesteps some real landmines as far as that that weird for weird sake you just talked about. Uh-huh. It, like which is the cheddar goblin the cheddar goblin shouldn't have shouldn't have worked and it works perfectly now never mind what people are going to turn it into they're going to turn it into something stupid but in the movie the idea that a tv you've just lost somebody in such a horrific way the idea that post grief interpretation of nighttime television that's what that shit would look like if you saw a macaroni commercial after that happened to you uh-huh. everything would look threatening Right. So the, that was per- perfectly done. And that's something that normally somebody would never be able to sidestep like, oh, you're just trying to do – you took the guy who did too many cooks and you made, you put something weird in there for the goons. But Was it the it, same guy? In, in the con- it was. And in the oh, context wow. of the movie, it's, it works. It's amazing. And it's real short and it's, and it's, it's hard to imagine that the – the commercial about a fake mascot being a cheddar goblin vomiting macaroni on kids would s- seem out of place normally, right? Yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And it, yeah. it feels like that's what happens when you watch TV after you see somebody murdered. That's what TV looks like. I think you know? my thing too is not like, that I've I think ever I just, had that happen. I think I just hate fanboys too, right? Because I saw a bunch of like cheddar goblin memes and cheddar goblin toys and stuff. Right. And there I just, are, I just gonna hate it. it. Yeah, but the, I love that when you talked about the way Mandy is killed, you know, she's they hang her up there and they burn her and she's still alive and she's kicking or whatever. And that's all so horrific. But there's something that he went another an, an extra step when he when she's reduced to nothing, mm-hmm. when she when he goes into the ashes and you can kind of see her face, but it just the ashes dissolve into nothing. And then he goes into the house and he's alone. Like if you have a body, if if somebody, if your loved one is murdered in a movie and you have the body, that's a different story. Or if she's still alive, that's a different story. But when she's removed in front of you, removed from existence like that, he tapped into something really fascinating, I think. Huh. Because he he leaves this he leaves this guy alone, right. you know, right. and the reaction the reaction to being left alone like that I think is different than holding the loved one as she bleeds to death and then identifying the, identifying the body or all that stuff is different than seeing someone reduced to nothing in front of you. Um, And it's 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 a very cinematic. I actually turned to Rios at a certain point and I said like, 
I don't, I, was that even her? You know, because I thought for a second that he might have put the right. other. I mean, there would be no reason for him to do that. It would have been a stupid twist if he did. But because you <laughs> never actually see her, right? Like she's mm -hmm. in this kind of uh, bag. opaque bag, right? Um, and then she's ashes. I was like, wait, what? what if he kills everybody and then she's still alive and maybe she's the bad guy? She's orchestrating all this. And it's like, no, no, she's just, <laughs> he just chose to yeah, that's turn a lot, her that's into a... ash. Yeah. And while, and the movie's more concerned with him with the barbed wire through his mouth and, right. you know, the movie loves, it just occurs to me how much that movie loves mouth violence. Think about all the, the moments of mouth violence, and knives through mouths. Yeah, he loves the mouth violence. I mean, I, you don't have to go to walk too far to find the the, the Freudian reasons for that. Doesn't I guess. he? Oh, in in but Rainbow, sure. doesn't he stab both the metalheads in the mouth? One up through the chin, and then one straight into the mouth. Yeah, there's definitely uh, like a faucet of blood coming out of their mouths. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I uh, um, something else I was going to ask you. I forget. But yeah, I like the um, when at the end when those lines you were talking about, you know, the he, he squeezes the guy's head and he's like, "Who's your god now?" And there's some li other lines in there like, "You exude a cosmic darkness." I remember somebody saying that. That I feel like is attempts to bring the audience on board with the first half, which is all uh -huh. visuals. And as we saw um, online. Uh, some people did not like that at all. Like they didn't have time for that pace. Nobody wants that 70s pace these days. No. Nobody wants what they perceive as pretentiousness. What's up, Todd and Robinson? I don't... We can just call him by name. He called, yeah. he called me on the phone, dude. We had this conversation. So we, we can talk about Todd. Well, it's not just Todd. I was seeing this from other people as well. Like uh, Kazepi and uh, there's a pretentiousness that really rubs people the wrong way. Yeah. And, um, I don't find it pretentious at all. And I don't know if that makes me pretentious. I just find it slow and agonizing, but I kind of like that. Is me that too, what they mean by pretentious? No, I like I, the we, We've agony. talked about this before, dude. I, I kind of love being bored. Like I kind of enjoy that. In yeah, I do too. I do too, especially at home. In the theater, I think I'm fine in the theater too. I never really check my watch. But I don't know if I don't want to put words in their mouth if they're I don't I'm not saying that they don't understand what boredom is and they think it means pretentious. <laughs> right. But there's I, I don't feel like this is a highbrow movie at all. Or I feel like there's no attempts to be highbrow. I just think there's a either. lot of long, a lot of long visuals that are agonizing. And I, I love it. You know, I think that I and, think that Cosmatos really is like a genuine uh, psychonaut. Right. Like, I think he's somebody who trips a lot. <laughs> And I think he's doing something with this movie with time dilation and with pacing he's and putting with it color. on the page. He is basically he's do, it, it feels not pretentious to me because it feels like he's actually doing something with it. Now, I would actually say, you know, that in like in like Drive or Neon Demon, which are also movies that I both love that that pace feels a little pretentious to me. Um, but not here. What's fun. What's funny is, dude, the. This movie is about as close to a Rob Zombie successful movie as you could get. Mm -hmm. Like this is Lords of Salem if it was done perfectly. I've been meaning to you watch know? that one yeah. actually. It's interesting because you can see it fall apart. You can see it just kind of dissolve in his hands. You know, he he aimed higher than maybe he was capable at the moment. But I think it's probably his 
most fully realized movie. Uh And then because nobody really liked it, he's like, here's 31. Here's some clowns for you. Here's some killer clowns for you. (laughs) But for, but for a moment, he was really close to what you see in Mandy. I feel like this is the best Rob Zombie movie ever made. And nobody would ever accuse Rob Zombie of being pretentious. I feel like, um, it feels very Lords of, Lords of Salem. Well, and have you, have you seen Kano's Cosmatos too? Like the dude weighs about like no. 250 pounds and he has a giant beard and wears like heavy metal t-shirts. Like he's not, <laughs> there you go. He's not, uh, <laughs> well, there you go. He's not Nicholas Winding Refn in like a fucking sweater vest and a scarf, literally like with the horn brim glasses and which God love both of them. I don't know why I'm comparing the two probably because uh, they both make slow movies. But, but. it sounds but I, I, I hear what you're saying. You're saying that somebody like that probably is is incapable of pretension. That right. they're just showing you things they think look cool. Right. You know I mean? Right. I mean, and it's and, like, and like the, the whole being like the the whole being like the son of like a famous director or whatever, like automatically making you a shithead. Like one of my best buddies is um, Paul Schrader's son, right? And that dude is like. Yeah, the... uh, he's a he's a movie guy. I talked to him on Facebook. Yeah, he's a good he's, movie guy. He's cool as hell, man. He's like a chill, down to earth guy who, to my mind, wants nothing to do with this world whatsoever. And by this world, I mean the world of entertainment. Like he's just like he has yeah, commentary he, on he it. Teaches high school. Something I think like he teaches that. Teaches high school. Yeah, something like that. But uh, but anyway, so like I don't I don't to kind of get back to your nepotism argument. Like I don't I don't like it. You know, because it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? Like it doesn't. Like people can be the sons of people who are connected. Well, I think that the, I think it. There's just something that comes with being around that kind of art. That if you that the kid is immersed in it, if their parents are doing it, of course you're going to be interested in what your parents are writing or painting or reading sure. or exactly. Or, and so and so that feels like a more natural connection. What now when somebody. Uh, 14 minutes. <laughs> say I'm about ready to do a re- revenge movie on stage. I got to say that like it is kind of hilarious to like watch us both sort of slowly lose our minds over the course of this conversation cuz we keep getting <laughs> cut off at exactly 15 minutes like 15 <laughs> minutes on the dot cuz like and then when I now the new pattern is to cut us off at 15 minutes and then when I try to call you back uh have it cut off immediately. So when it cut off immediately I was like like really, really loud. <laughs> I was, so mad. I was pissed so mad. as fuck. Okay, so we'll wrap this up. up we're man. gonna wrap it up, and we have fourteen minutes. And we then have fourteen. We're but we, but we were talking about that's... nepotism. We we're talking about nepotism, nepotism. And, you, and you were making a point, and then we got cut off. I was just saying that that's the only time that I feel like it might be okay is in the arts. Um, anywhere else in the world, nepotism, where some somebody's kid takes over the business, uh, it makes me fucking furious. Uh huh. So I'm with you. I'm with you there. Anybody out there who, who hates, uh, who hates that? Like you get to have this because your parents did it. I'm with you, except when it comes to maybe the arts. Right. Right. Because they, because they're immersed in it, and they're gonna, they're gonna might they might be good. They get a better right. chance. You get a better chance of them being competent in that family business. You know sure. what I'm saying? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's almost like going to, a, I don't know, if this was back in the day, going to a cobbler, right? And being like, oh, just because your father and your father before him were cobblers, all of a sudden you just get to be the town cobbler. But it's not that's not to say that they can't still fuck it up because of all of the of course, things, of all course. the things that are handed to them. Like, yeah, it does. 
it doesn't happen in a natural way. Like with uh, Joe Hill might be a good example that, uh-huh. um, by, by all indications, he seems to be, have a lot of talent. Um, I read uh, a couple of his books and, um, man, they're just, they're about half great. You know, they, yeah. it's, it's because it's not because of the, uh, the, the nepotism per se, it's because people are saying you must, you're already done cooking, you know? So mm-hmm. here you get to have this life and like the, what's the one horns horns is half of a great book. Uh-huh. Um, all his books are about 500 pages too long, you know? Totally. Nosferatu is like a thousand pages. It's like, yeah, what and the it's, fuck? and it's because there's no, everybody is, it's like the world is the ones to blame. Now I wouldn't blame it as, father for for anointing him the next writer in the house i would blame the world for giving him too much too soon maybe i don't know well, and maybe, maybe that's and it's like maybe it, that's gonna happen with this director you know maybe but it doesn't seem like it he's had to scrounge for to get these two maybe. yeah it's, it's, take, it's take not decade, it's a, right? yeah exactly it's not exactly nepotism if your dad is known for making rambo first blood to cobra and tombstone it's not exactly martin scorsese right I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a dynasty legacy type thing, but and he's he's definitely working with connections that your average Joe off the street wouldn't work with. But you know, when I think of nepotism, I think so many people want to make movies these days that it kind of makes sense that if your parents already made movies and you have this leg up, I mean, like if if you or I had that opportunity, like wouldn't we take it? Like, what are they supposed to do? You know, be like, yeah, oh, I, I'm not going to make my movie because right. it's it's nepotistic. And, and plus, I might be talking a, a whole different tune if it was not during the superhero apocalypse. So I'm 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 hanging on to anything, you know. I'm I'm, ha- I'm hanging <laughs> anything on anything with like I'm a shred on the, of artistic integrity. Yes, you're like, I'm oh my off god, that helicopter, like just anything, <laughs> anything that's not that other thing, like shakedown. You're you're on the wheels. Like of shakedown, the plane. I'm on the fucking wheels. Good job bringing it full circle, dude. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what about the? Uh, here's what I was going to ask you. The the most perverse movie, the move in this movie of perversities has got to be not having any music in the end credits. How does that not happen in this movie? Wait, was there no music in the end credits? There was silent end credits. Huh. I thought I thought that something had gone wrong with my TV because I thought, where's I can't wait to the end when I get, you know, this fucking King Crimson B-side is going to crank and I can drop my pants, like, you know? Yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> they probably had some, like, Iron Maiden slated for it. Right. And then, and or, it, they, or they had a Johan Johansson piece and then the fucker died halfway through. And they're just like, well, I guess maybe maybe that is why it's quiet. You know that you know what I thought was a weird kind of synchronicity was that uh, the composer died making this the score to this movie, and he died from a cocaine overdose. Mm -hmm. So that scene where Nicolas Cage takes the piece of glass and snorts the mountain of cocaine, I thought that was a little whoa, that's crazy. A little. I just saw he did the score for Arrival and uh, Sicario, which I know you hate, but Mm -hmm. Arrival and Sicario have some great. Great moody melancholy scores, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about Arrival is it's a it's a melancholy science fiction movie, mm-hmm. and, and there's a there's a vibe of melancholy that I think I like a little better than the vibe of heavy metal that's in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like the opening with him cutting down trees and that that King Crimson song. What is it? Um, I don't forget what it's called. Uh, it's from the album Red, which is it can't be an accident, right? Uh-huh. Um, but it's just got this melancholy to it, like this sadness. 
And that's the kind of shit I like in a horror movie, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even even more than than the heavy metal. Um, yeah, it was when you were talking about him cutting down trees. There's this movie called Leviathan. Remember this one about the the fishing boat? Yeah, yeah. There's actually like three movies called Leviathan, but yeah, I know which one you're talking about. It, yeah. it has this, the Mastodon song in the middle of it. Right, right, right. I, kind of... Are you there? What's that? Yeah, I was gonna say that the Mastodon song actually is a, is a it actually works there. It's a heavy metal song, but it's you can tell it's being played from a small radio and while they're gutting fish. Right. So it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, and I was thinking about when you said like uh, the him being a logger. This is the kind of person I am. So anybody who's listening to this podcast and is wondering about my tastes, <laughs> I would go watch a movie about loggers. I would do it in a heartbeat. So it's, <laughs> it's the most it's the most dangerous job in America. Where they're just cutting like a day in the life, just cutting down trees, Leviathan dude, style. Dude, every time every time a cop dies and somebody's like they're they're heroes, their their job is tough. I'm always looking up statistics and noticing that their job isn't even like in the top ten. Oh, let, dude, let, let me tell you, I was a tree trimmer for you, two you, months. Then that means you worked the most dangerous job in America, dude. I did, I did. Okay, so here here let me let me tell you about it. When I started working that job, my boss gave me this kind of um, catalog of tree trimming tools that he gets every month. In the back of it. There's like an obituary section, and it was everybody who had died that month from Holy tree trimming accidents and how they died. Okay, oh, oh. so let me tell you the story. <laughs> so we are in uh, this this rich person's backyard in Oklahoma, and we're taking down. I think it was a pin oak um, that was kind of over their house, mm-hmm. and in their backyard, for whatever reason, they had uh, bricks laid in their entire backyard. It was all bricks. And so we rigged up a pulley system to another tree and tied it around the top part of this other tree. And the idea was he was going to cut this thing off in sections. And I was going to be on the floor kind of uh, with some gloves on, obviously. (laughs) And I was going to try to gently set these pieces of tree down to keep it from hurting the brick. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, yeah, I'm following you. Okay. So he climbs up the tree. He ties the rope off, makes sure it's tight. And he thought it was completely dead, which would make it extremely light, which would mean that I would be able to kind of, I would let the thing kind of go through my hands, but, uh, you know, not like, okay. So anyway, so he cuts through it with his chainsaw. I'm ready. I'm all getting ready. It falls and it begins to fall too fast. And so I grip the nylon rope to like keep it from falling too fast. And it yanks me off my feet into the air and I see this giant chunk of pin oak swing right in front of my face. Right, And he jumps down off the tree. He's like, you almost died, you dumb motherfucker. Why didn't oh, you let it go? And I was like, I didn't want to hurt the brick. Oh. Anyway, needless to say, that was the hardest job I've ever had in my entire life. And I, hard, quit, I quit like a bitch after like two or three months. So I was like, I, I can't do this. Have you ever seen Joe, the Nicolas Cage movie? I Joe? did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's some great tree melancholy action where his job is to poison trees with a special axe. That's amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, I'm not. I'm going to tell real, the fastest story ever because you got me excited about chainsaw stories. <laughs> okay, so, go ahead. So I was supposed to help take apart a door to this airplane hangar where I was working landscaping. So they gave me a chainsaw. It's like right. the first time I was fucking with a chainsaw. And for a giant garage door to go up, you know, you need a big spring. It takes a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. And this particular airplane hangar door it had a spring that was like as big as a fucking car, right? It, it, that's how that's how much power was 
um, harness to make this door go up. Mm-hmm. So like a moron, I start chopping the door into chunks, which is basically making it lighter and lighter and lighter so that the spring is going to eventually give. And I don't know this. Uh-huh. And I go through the last piece that um, must have been the last straw for the spring. And the spring gives. So the power that would have pulled up this garage door just snaps loose. And the spring just goes flying by my face and just nicks me. Just, just nicks me. And it, but then it, then it also cuts through another piece of door. Oh my and just, God. and just like you, some guy that worked there, it comes running out like you fucking idiot. Yeah. And he shows me what it did. And he's like that. It should have taken your head off. And, I, yeah. and at the time I'm just like, man, this is badass. I can't, wait to, <laughs> I can't wait to tell somebody my chainsaw story. But of course that that's why people die all the time logging. Cause you're yeah. fucking with fucking around with a oh, lot no. of weight, a lot yeah. of weight and a chainsaw, which just makes the weight go. Whoop. Oh no. That's, and, and tree trimming. And you know, those guys are out there doing that in ice. They're oh, doing that like in extreme heat where they're dehydrated. And so they're to sum up, clearly. to sum up, fuck cops, fuck cops. Yeah, they don't. They, do, they, they don't have they the don't fucking that. dangerous, most they're, dangerous job in the place. Not, not even, not even the top ten, dude. Not, not even, even close, dude. Plus, not, they're fucking worthless. Cops anyway, are fucking pussies. Fuck did them. you get? You didn't see. You didn't hear the no music. Did you get to the post credit stinger? There was a no. post. I turned it off. Oh, I thought it was oh, over. Oh, dude, there's a post credit stinger where he's recruited by Sam Jackson. What? No, I'm, just I'm just kidding. No, he, there is uh, there is a stinger. There's a moment <laughs> where they show all the sketches that you didn't really see that Mandy had been doing. Oh, okay, that's cool. I'll go. Back. I think I still have it rented. I think it's rented. Okay. Oh you no, should... you know what? I think once I got it on Prime, so I think once I watch it, that's that's a yeah. wrap after. But I'll I'll probably I'll just go pirate it. Then. Well, what they show you is him kind of raging, and they show a tiger that she's drawn, and it reminded me. Of the tiger on his shirt. I'd forgotten that he had a tiger on his shirt the whole time. Right. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's worth uh, it's worth getting to. I just, well, that's I just, it for the sure, Almost Good podcast because we're about to run out of time. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Skype, Skype says that's it. Skype is wrapping it up. No, but for real, that's, that's probably all the time we have. Uh, I'm going to stop recording right meow.